Welcome to Murder and Mayhem, the podcast where we explore the dark and mysterious side of writing. It's a world filled with more evil and crime than you can shake a sharpened stick at, where people save the world from certain destruction, where spies, terrorists and thugs abound, and where the killer could be someone in your very own home. It's also a world often filled with flawed heroes and likeable villains. But above all, it's a place where we explore the authors who tell these very stories, what makes them tick, and how their words manage to take us to some of the darkest corners of our imaginations. Hello everyone, my name's Valerie Koo and I'm host of the Murder and Mayhem pop-up podcast. This episode is brought to you by the popular online course, Anatomy of a Crime, How to Write About Murder. Over eight spine-chilling modules, you'll delve into each step of the murder process, including the psychological, forensic and legal aspects of homicide from premeditation right through to prison life. Brought to you by one of the world's leading centres, for writing courses, the Australian Writers' Centre. Using both real and fictional cases, you'll discover the many faces of killers, the police who pursue them, and the victims who get caught in the killer's trap, all designed to enhance your crime and thriller writing and help you bring writing about death to life. It's a self-study course with a full audio program, including accompanying handouts and videos and resources where you can view real forensic and police reports reports and a dissection of real murder scenes. Find out more at murdercourse.com. That's murdercourse.com. Thanks for joining us on Murder and Mayhem. This is Valerie Koo. I hope you've been enjoying this pop-up podcast series and I've certainly thoroughly enjoyed putting it together for you and also getting all of your feedback on it. Just remember that if you want to download your free ebook called A Month of Murder and Mayhem, spend 31 days with the world's best crime and thriller authors, you can do that at murdercourse.com. We've received a lot of feedback on the free ebook as well. Some of you are saying it's a great way to accompany this pop-up podcast series because it features the same authors but in written form and we pull out some of the key writing tips and takeaways for you. So you don't necessarily have to listen to the whole podcast all over again. Of course, you are welcome to have us on repeat in your earbuds if you like, but otherwise there is the ebook version at murdercourse.com. Now today we're talking to Drew Chapman. I had a fascinating chat with Drew uh, and many people will know that the original interview first appeared on the podcast called So You Want to Be a Writer, where me and my co-host Alison Tate interview authors from all walks of life and across all genres. But the Murder and Mayhem podcast is specifically curated so that we showcase the world's best crime and thriller authors for you. Now Drew Chapman is an American crime author author and he wrote The King of Fear and The Ascendant. He's also been a screenwriter, you know, and he's written for Disney, Fox, Warner Brothers, uh, Sony, and has also co-executive produced the second season of the spy show Legends, which is an awesome show. Anyway, it was great to chat to Drew to get his insights on how he got into the world of writing and in particular then how he became a crime novelist. I hope you enjoy today's interview. So Drew, thank you so much for joining us today. 
Thank you for having me. Now, for readers who haven't yet read your book, King of Fear, can you tell us what it's about? Sure. King of Fear is the sequel to my first book called The Ascendant, um, which centers, it's a thriller uh, that centers around a main character named Garrett Riley. And Garrett Riley is a young uh, bond trader in New York City. He works on Wall Street and he he makes his his money through pattern recognition. He sort of sees the ebb and flow of money in the markets, and that's how he kind of makes his fortune. And in the beginning of the first book, he um, sees that somebody is selling off a massive amount of U.S. treasuries to attack the American economy, and then he realizes that it's the Chinese. And then he sort of understands in the book that there's an underground, almost invisible war going on between the U.S. and China. And he gets recruited by the government to help fight that war. And the second book is the sort of ongoing story. It's a new nation and a new problem for Garrett to sort of deal with. And in the second book, it is about Russia um, and the sort of invisible war that's going on between the United States and Russia. And Garrett is in, uh, uh, you know, recruited to help in that too. But ultimately, what the books really are about are character studies of this main character, this guy, Garrett Riley, who is this sort of young hotshot who's also troubled and um, is very much a subversive who never does what he's told, can't be trusted, smokes too much pot, sleeps mm-hmm. with too many women, and gets into too many bar fights, and yet he has to be a patriot, and he really doesn't want to be that thing. And so it's sort of about his journey to... You know, journey growing up, basically. And so your protagonist has a very specific skill, pattern recognition. Did you know somebody who, who had this skill as well? Or did you have experience in the, you know, bond trading industry? Like, where did the first book, the idea for the first book and the setting and the character come from? Well, you know, I'm, I'm obsessed with economics and I'm obsessed with math and numbers. So it comes from me. And I, it's not like I'm some specialist in pattern recognition. I just, I love that idea. Um, but the real truth is what I really wanted to make the book about was about somebody who's called to service who doesn't want to do it. Um, who is the sort of very reluctant hero. Um, you know, I, I always say that, I, you know, th- this is not Tolstoy. This is a book you pick up at the airport in Los Angeles and you read as you, you know, flying to New York. Um, and I, I love those books. I think those books are great and fun. And But they always have these protagonists who are so macho and <laughs> male and like they can kill you with their little pinky. And I just, I just, I don't know that person. I've never met that person no. and I don't, I'm not interested in that person. I I want to see, you know, a hero who's sort of like me, who who's just an everyday guy who might have a particular specialty in life and who applies that specialty to the world. The the real thing that happened that really uh, all my books, all my television writing, whatever I do, it's always about a character. It's always about a person. I I'm always like I always shape the story around that one person and the story that um, fascinated me was, I don't know if you know this in Australia, but in the United States, there was this football player named Pat Tillman, uh, American football. And he left American football in a lucrative contract and joined um, the army. Mm. And he went and he fought in Afghanistan. And he was a big deal when, he, when it happened. And he was killed. Mm. And he was killed, it turned out, by friendly fire. 
in Afghanistan. And this was a really big deal in the United States. And at his funeral, um, all these people, he was from the state of Arizona, and all these big fancy politicians showed up at his funeral. They had never known the guy, but they spoke about him because he was this national hero. And they spoke glowingly about the fact that he had died and that he had served his country. And then his brother got up to speak. And I saw footage of it. And his brother was drunk, Mm. really drunk. And he spoke with a beer in his hand. And he was enraged. And he cursed. And he yelled at all the people who had said these wonderful things about his brother. And he said, you know what? You don't know my brother. You don't know why he died. You don't know what he was about. And basically go to hell. And I thought, wow, Mm. that guy is interesting. Mm. Who is that guy? And so I started researching him and I just, you know, he, the character is only very, very loosely inspired by the guy. Mm. And so my character has an older brother who dies in Iraq and he um, hates the army and he hates the military because of it. And he hates the government. And now the government is coming to ask him to work for them. And I thought, oh, that's an interesting contradiction. I want to explore that. Yeah, and that was really where it came from. And so, can King of Fear, which, as you said, is the sequel to The Ascendant, be read as a standalone book? Can is it self-contained? Would you suggest that to readers, or do you think that they should start with the first one? Um, well, of course, I'd always like them to buy the first one and uh, <laughs> start there. But yes, I wrote it absolutely as a um, self-contained book. Uh, you really have to, and like uh, I love J.K. Rowling's, um, you know, Harry Potter books, mm. which are once you get to like the fourth or fifth book obviously you've read all the first ones but mm. when you read the second one she does a good job of sort of very quickly laying out what everything's about so that if you miss the first one you still understand what's going on mm. and it's really an art i i had to uh my editor had to really help me with that and like i overwrote the first draft you know explaining every little detail and she's like no no you can drop your readers right into the middle of it just make sure they're not lost mm. and then they'll follow along so, you know, I, there's a lot of guys and women who write mysteries and thrillers that have the same character recurring. And sometimes when you pick up like their 13th book, you start reading it and you're completely lost. You have no idea. And I think they, they lose track of the fact that some of us are just wandering through the bookstore and going, ooh, I'd like to read that. And you don't know what the first one is. You've been involved in writing for the television industry for some years. When did you know that you wanted to be a writer and what did you do to get there back then? You mean just a writer in general? General, yes, as opposed to, you know, a chiropractor or a dog groomer or whatever, yes. Well, you know, the truth is, and this is probably not helpful to your audience, (laughs) there's only been two things I've ever wanted to be in my life, and one was a professional basketball player, Uh and the other was a writer. And given that I'm six feet tall, I was never going to be a professional basketball player. I uh, have wanted to be a writer since I the earliest my earliest memories. That's the only thing I've ever wanted to do in my life. I can't explain exactly why. Um, I love books and I've loved them from early on, although I didn't write books for a long time. I just wrote in the movies and television. Mm. Um, I did journalism. I, I don't, it's in some ways I've always been kind of, uh, you know, a little regretful that I didn't explore, you know, I could have been a chemist or a whatever. I mean, there's all many things I could have done. And, but no, I just had to be a writer. And, 
And that's all I've ever done. You say that you've always loved books, uh, but how come it took a little while for you to get to your first novel? Um, what was the what made it you finally ready? Well, I think I had a, a winding road. I mean, I did start in journalism, and then I have a family history in the entertainment business. My dad is a cinematographer, a cameraman, um, so I had this sort of in. To the movie business, and I kind of fell into it. Um, you know, I, I was kicking around and working as a bartender, and you know, just odd jobs. And and then I thought, oh, I should, you know, I mean, I was writing all the time, and I thought, well, I should write screenplays if I'm not writing journalism. So I didn't write a novel. So I sort of fell into writing screenplays and could make a living at it. And so you know, you kind of are. are you're trapped by your own competence, right? I was pretty good at writing screenplays, so I never got around to actually writing the books. I eventually wrote a book because I had the idea for my first book, The Ascendant, mm -hmm. and I was under contract to a TV network to write a screenplay for them. Um, but they didn't need it for like six to eight months. So I had all this time and I was getting paid, which is, you know, like the rarest thing in the world for a writer. Mm -hmm. And I thought, oh, I could sell this idea as a television show. And then I thought, you know, maybe this is the moment for me to just like write it as a book instead. And mm -hmm. like not, you know, when you work in the entertainment business, you get a lot of notes. People are always telling you mm -hmm. what to change and what to do and how the audience is going to like it. And I thought, you know, I don't want that. I just want to write the thing I want to write. I don't care if it gets published and I don't care if anybody reads it. I'm just going to write this thing that I want to write. So then I sat down and I did it. And so then what happened? Can you tell us how you got your book deal for The Ascendants? Um, well, it is, it's interesting. I, it, and I, when I teach writing and talk about creative writing, I really harp on this. I wrote The Ascendant entirely for myself with no expectation that it would ever, ever be published. I, I wrote it to self-publish on Amazon. I thought, I'm just going to write this. I'm going to put it up, and if, like, my mom and 10 of her friends read it, that's fine. I'll just – those will be my, my audience, and I just don't care. And I really, really believed that. I mean, to the point where it just – it was incredibly liberating. You know, I, I just was going to write this thing that was entirely my own. And then when I had finished, I sent it to a bunch of friends, and I sent it to my um, my movie agents mm. who sell stuff to the entertainment business, and they said – well, let us get you a, a literary agent because we think this could be published. And I told them no. I was like, no, I'm just going to publish it myself. And they're like, please, just just give us a shot. Come on, we can do this. And they did. And a publisher, you know, a, a literary agent jumped on it and then and a publisher bought it. It was really just incredibly lucky. And I don't pretend that it was in any way skill. I think it was just the right moment. Just mm. It just kind of happened. It kind of fell into my lap. Brilliant. And so do you find... That's not a very good story. It's not a story of struggle and rejection. I'm sorry. <laughs> Nothing has to be a story. Not, not everything needs to be a story of struggle. I know, but it would be more uplifting if I told you. I sent it out to 40 different people, but I didn't. I'm sorry. <laughs> so how, when you're writing, you obviously write for TV, which is a very collaborative process. As you say, you get a lot of notes. And writing a novel is a little bit more isolating, in a sense. Do you have to do anything to switch hats or to think I'm in this mode now, I'm writing a television show. I'm this mode now, I'm writing my novel. Do, do you do anything to, or write in a different space or anything like that? 
Um, well, when you're writing a TV show, it is so collaborative. I mean, if you're writing on a staff of a television show, you're in a room with all these other writers. So, like, you have no choice but to be, like, collaborative and outgoing with all the other people. And you're just throwing ideas around. I mean, it's fun. It's a very – but it's a very – as you said, very, very different. So, you know, to if I'm writing a book and then I have to go write on staff – I'm forced into another headspace, so it's not a problem. Mm. If you're going the other direction from writing um, television to writing a book, yeah, I, I, you do have to I, – I spend a certain amount of time, and there's no set time, just trying to be my own boss again. Mm-hmm. Just trying to really figure out what I want to say about the world and not being – and this is just me. I, I try not to be commercial. I I try not to think about what people will like or not like. Um, in the television business, the entertainment business, you have to think about what people are going to like or not like, or you won't work. Mm. Um, you you know, it is a prerequisite. Yes. But for writing books, you know, I I, I think it just. I'm sort of lucky that the stuff I like is pretty mainstream. Um, I like thrillers. I, you know, I, I find them fun. I, I'm not Tolstoy in any way, shape, or form, so <laughs> that's not really going to be an issue for me. And I, I, but I do have to remember to just be really true to what I like and what I want to write when I'm writing a book. Um, that seems to me like the only advice that I, the only advice that actually matters. Mm. So when you wrote The King of Fear, and obviously when you wrote The Ascendant, uh, did you know the entire plot before you started and work out, you know, this is my arc and all that sort of thing? Or did you kind of just see what happens? <laughs> um, I am, and I think this is from being in the entertainment business for so long, I am a structuralist through and through. Right. I have to know, I have to know everything that happens Mm. beforehand. I have to know the ending. I have to know the middle. I have to know all the scenes. I plot out everything to within an inch of its life before I write a word. Um, I put down cards. I I change the cards around. I write it up as an outline. Um, And only when I really know everything do I start writing. Like, I sometimes I I read an interview with um, Isabella Allende, you know, yeah. and she just sits down at the typewriter or the computer once a year, and she has no idea what she's going to write, and she just writes it. Yeah, like I I would just go out of my mind. I I, <laughs> I would never get a page written. I would just I would have no idea what to do. So um, pr- practically speaking, how do you physically do that? You say you write on cards, so like index cards. You're talking about. Do you do or or do you do an electronic version of index cards, like we, what you can find on Scrivener, or do you stick them up on the wall or lay them out on the carpet? What's it look like actually? Well, what it what it really looks like at first is it takes me weeks and sometimes years. Um, while I'm working on other things to think of that character that I want to write, mm. like in this case, Garrett Riley. So I have this guy and I'm like, oh, I want to write about him. And then I think about who he is. And then I sit down at my computer and I, this I guess is my Isabella Allende moment, right? Mm-hmm. I sit down and I free associate about him and mm. what his problem is and who he is and what his situation is. Um, who, you know, his parents and his past and his his issues and his flaws and who he loves. And I just write that for as long as it takes. Sometimes it's like an afternoon. Sometimes it's like weeks. Mm. And I just sit and I keep writing. And, and the document can be 
you know, 50 pages long and it's all just nonsense, but it gets it onto the page for me and I refine and I get closer and closer. And then once I've really finished that up, then I start um, laying out the story and I work in big chunks, I think, because I'm, again, trained as a screenwriter. So I think Mm -hmm. in thirds, I think in first act, second act, third act. So I think, okay, in the first act, this is what's going to happen. At the end of the first act, this is that big change. This is the big sort of reversal. Mm-hmm. Here's my middle, and that's going to be the middle of the book. And then at the end of that, here's my next big like switcheroo. Mm-hmm. And then here's how I'm. This is the goal that I'm writing towards. Here's the you know here's my finale, and here's how it's going to end. Um, and I oh, and even before I fi- figured out any of those in between stages. I need to know what the final scene yeah. is. I need to know how that <laughs> ending is going to be. Then I can work there. Um, and then I, and then once I have those big blocks done, I write. I just think about what are the most interesting, revelatory scenes that I can come up with in between mm. those moments. That really, you know, I, I like to think that even though I write stuff that has a lot of sort of action and thrillery mystery stuff in it, it's just a character study. It's just about people. Mm. And so I just, what are the scenes that are interesting and fun that really reveal who this guy is and all the people around him? And then I write those out and I have those on cards. And then, yeah, I, I pin those up on a big board on a mm-hmm. wall and I um, lay them out. And then I move them around and I change them. And then once I've settled into like a, a sort of an outline that I like, I type out that outline into my computer. Mm-hmm. It becomes like five or 10 pages, very brief outline, print it out. And then I write from that outline. The outline changes as I'm writing. So there, there's a lot, you know, the spontaneity is there. It's like, mm. I like that first scene. And then, no, I don't like it. I change it completely because I'm writing it differently. But I need that the safety net of that thing that I can refer to all the time. Which is the most fun part for you where you're creating and free associating and discovering that character or the bit where you're putting it out, putting all the cards out or the actual writing? Uh None of those. (laughs) I have two fun parts that are, I mean, all those parts are fun, but the real fun for me, and I know this is very strange, is after I've written the entire thing Uh and I've printed it out all, you know, 400 pages and I sit down in a room with a pen and those 400 pages and I go through and I edit them. I am the editing process. (laughs) I love editing my own work and just throwing stuff out and changing it and rewrite. And I'll write my first draft has as much written in scroll in the margins as it does typed on the pages. So I just keep changing and changing and changing and I rewrite and I rewrite and I rewrite until I feel like it's good. Wow. Now, I understand that your publisher, Simon & Schuster, is field testing a new launch model with The King of Fear, and they're releasing it in three parts in digital format, and that started on the 3rd of November, 2015. Tell us about this idea. It's very innovative. Well, um, it is is an experiment. It Mm. is a field test, for sure. you know, uh, I think that my editor at Simon & Schuster, a woman named Mary Sue Rucci, who is a great editor, she um, read the first third of my second book, The King of Fear. And mm-hmm. she got back to me and said, okay, this is good. I like this. I like that. But why don't we release it like in parts? 
because she has always felt that as somebody who writes a lot of television and movies, I'm good at sort of those cliffhanger endings. Yeah. And she's like, why don't we use that sort of talent of yours to our advantage and release it like in a serialized version and you write those big cliffhangers and then we'll wait and we'll release a second part. And at first I was like, what the hell is this? <laughs> I mean, I had no idea what she's talking about, but then I thought, okay. So I wrote the book to be released that way. I mean, I wrote yeah. it in thirds with big cliffhanger. Cause I thought, well, that makes sense. I can kind of get into that. And I, and it makes sense given my TV writing background. Um, but I mean, the real truth is, it's a bit of a marketing experiment. I mean, I don't, I don't, I have no idea if it'll work or not sure. work. Or I'm, I'm very afraid that people, people who like my first book, will read the first third and then they'll be pissed off. Like, hey, how come I can only read a third of this? What the hell's going on? Right. And I actually have received a couple of those emails already, so I'm a little oh. nervous. So with that, um, with your protagonist Garrett Riley, I love that his name is not. Jack, because you know every protagonist in Hollywood His name is Jack. Jack. Yeah. yeah. Um, but with your background in the film industry, did you write it with an actor in mind? No, I never write. Even when I'm writing uh, a TV or movie script, I never write with an actor in mind. I don't, because the truth is, you have no idea who you're going to get. Yes. If you will get. Um, and if you write with a specific actor, at least in my opinion, you kind of narrow your, um, your, your vision. Um, and especially for the book, you know, I, I didn't want, I wanted the book to be a book separate from any kind of Mm. movie TV world. I just, I just wanted it to be that thing with words on a page. Um, the great, you know, frustration of any, TV or feature writer is that you write so many things that nobody but a small handful of executives ever reads. Mm. And that's just like, you know, that's heartbreaking. Mm. And so I, I just thought, um, this is not for those executives. This is for, you know, for me and for the people who just want to read a good thriller. Mm. Now, let's say you've written your outline, your 10 or 15 page outline, you're now in the throes of writing. Do you have a particular writing routine? Like, you know, you aim for a certain word count, or you write for a certain number of hours, or you have to go for a walk first or whatever, put on some music. Do you have any kind of writing routine when you're in the throes of writing? Absolutely. Um, I'm very much a a morning person. Mm -hmm. So get up, you know, have coffee, walk the dog, uh, sit down, you know, write a couple of emails. And then I have a, um, a page count. Um, mm-hmm. I try to do 10 pages of writing and that's hard. Mm-hmm. Um, that can be, you know, a, a lot of times I don't make it, but I, I, it does, if I get there really fast, then my day's over. Um, if it takes me until, you know, nine at night, then I just keep going until I'm done. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's very much a a I could it, that is a holdover from writing screenplays, yeah. like pages as opposed to words. Mm. Um, and I, I can never quite get the word thing. Like my editor will be like, "Well, it needs you know we need to trim ten thousand words." I'm like, I have no idea what ten thousand words is. Can you just <laughs> give me a page number? Um, so yeah, that's that that's it. It's I have I have rules. I'm a little anal on that kind of stuff, you know, mm. as you can tell. <laughs> so there's much talk these days in the industry about having an author platform. What do you think of this? Do you think this is important? 
You mean like uh, uh, a social media platform? Yeah, and building your profile as an author. You know, gone are the days where you can just sort of leave it to your publisher to do all the publicity. Now you kind of need to do a bit of – you both need to contribute. Um, yeah, I mean I for sure am doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, I am somebody who I like to talk and I like to do these kind of podcasts and interviews and I do a bunch of radio and I, um, like to teach classes and go to book reading. So I'm not like a shut in writer. Mm. I'm more of a, you know, a a little bit more of an extrovert writer. Um, I, I, the, it, it, this, I I hope my publisher doesn't hear this. (laughs) It amazes me how, the marketing arm of publishing houses in the United States is not more aggressive about stuff. Like Mm. in the entertainment business, your marketing arm, they run the show. Mm. I mean, they're throwing millions of dollars around all the time, trying desperately to get people to show up and put their butts in seats in movie theaters or turn the channel to watch their show. I mean, that's their lifeblood. And in publishing, it's it's kind of it's a really old fashioned business, and, yes. and I'm kind of shocked. Um, so, yeah, I feel very much that you have to take matters into your own hands. I have a website and a Twitter and mm. uh, Instagram, and I blog and I I do as many interviews as people will want to do, and I and I like to spread the gospel of writing. Mm. and storytelling and how important it is and how to do it. I feel like it's not just, you know, that you want to be a writer, but it's how you can tell stories in your life and how they can help you in all kinds of ways. So I'm, I'm all for it. Um, I feel like, you know, I can be an evangelist, not just for myself and not just for the Drew Chapman brand, but, you know, just for writing in general. Mm-mm. I love something that you wrote on your blog where you talk about clustering events and how last year um, The Ascendant was released on the 7th of January 2014 and two days later a TV show you produced and wrote The Assets premiered on ABC but then this year rolls around and um, on November 2nd uh, a TV show you co-executive produced and wrote, Legends, which interestingly I literally only discovered yesterday on the plane. Uh, <laughs> and, yeah, the, 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 only yesterday. And um, and the next day after that was released on November 2nd, your second book, The King of Fear, it, it was released. So that begs the question, what's in store for 2016? What are you working on now that we're likely to see <laughs> know, within it's, two it's days? It's kind of each amazing, other? right? It's like, <laughs> how, how did that possibly happen? It's yeah. just so random. It's great. Um, yeah, well, so 2016. So the um, Legend show is uh, done. We're finished writing it. It's, it's it's showing in the United States now, and my book is obviously coming out. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm writing a um, TV show for Amazon, actually. Oh. You know, Amazon is in the TV business now. Right. Um, so I'm writing a um, pilot for them. Whether they actually um, pick it up to series is another question, but mm-hmm. I've sold it as, a, as an idea. Um, and it is a little crazy. It is about a woman a soccer mom in the United States who becomes a revolutionary, like oh. a real full-on Che Guevara, like 
crazy revolutionary in the United States and tries to overthrow the government. Wow. And it's not entirely straight, a little comic. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I want to write, um, I'm going to start writing my third book. Mm-hmm. Um, and I may actually go away from the whole Garrett Riley thing and write a um, legal thriller. One of the things I love is, the other thing, you know, when you asked me, like, what do I love to do? And I said mm-hmm. editing. The other <laughs> thing I love to do is research. Oh, um, yes. I just... I can do research, like, I could just do research forever and never actually do any writing. Right. <laughs> that would be. Um, so for The Ascendant and for King of Fear, I, I sat with bond traders. I went to China. I went to Eastern Europe. I, I talked with the FBI and the CIA. I mean, I just, like, do all kinds of research. And now I've started doing um, lots of legal research in the United States and sitting in courtrooms and talking to lawyers. So I think that'll be my next project. Do you already know, like, you, you know, you say that you plot within an inch of its, your life. What Do you already know what's going to happen in this book? No, I know the character. Right. I know I want to write about a woman who is a defense lawyer in Seattle. I live in Seattle, mm-hmm. um, who is the daughter of a fancy corporate lawyer and whose sister is very successful and has lots of money and she's a down and out defense lawyer trying to defend people who are wrongly accused of this or wrongly accused of that and she's Mm -hmm. the black sheep and I just love that particular character I have a whole sort of backstory worked out for her so now I once I know the character then Mm -hmm. the plotting you know that's sort of the easy part in a way Mm -hmm. the fun part Mm -hmm. Um, but I I know who she is I can really get into what 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 she's going to do. So in 2016, we're going to have the legal thriller and the Amazon TV series being released within two days of each other. All no, right. that'll, have, that'll have to happen in 2017. It'll take me at least a year to get all those things going. Okay, have a year off. Exactly. <laughs> all right, so you said that you'd love to be an advocate for writing generally and for storytelling generally. So what's your advice for aspiring writers who are – Reading, who are listening to this and who may not have that in like you did into the entertainment industry, but who, you know, want to get paid to write, who want to write their novel one day. What's your advice to them on what they should do, what the steps, the steps they need to take? Well, I think um, that is a really interesting question and one that I get asked all the time. Um, I think there's a couple of ways to approach it. I think the first most important way to approach it, and this is the one that writers always hate to hear and takes a long time, and that is, I think you really have to figure out who you are. I think you have to figure out what you care about and what you're passionate about in the world. Um, And that requires a lot of self-reflection and a certain amount of living. Um, I think you need to really come to grips with what your obsessions are and what your passions are. Um, Because in writing... Most of the time, you're going to get no's. You're going to get rejections. People are not going to be interested. Or even if you get a, you know, a yes, nobody's going to read it. Or they're going to only few people are going to watch it. I mean, there's so few like unadulterated hits in the world um, that rejection is just a part of the process. So you have to really understand what you want to say and who you are, because you're just going to be telling that same story over and over and over again in various different ways, um, in little different ways for your whole life. I mean, I feel like I just tell the same story over and over again. Just tweak it here and there. Um, 
And so you have to be very thick-skinned and you have to be very persistent and it has to be okay with you. You have to really come to peace with the possibility that you might not succeed, that you mm. might just be writing this and fail and and that has to be okay. Mm. Um, and not just like sort of surface level okay, it has to be really okay. Um, and and that gives you a sort of inner strength to keep going. Um, and certainly I have been rejected a million times and been, you know, broke or, you know, nobody wanted to hire me so many times in my life. And you just have to feel that it's going to be okay. You're going to, you know, that that's okay. You'll just keep going. And then once you really come to sort of a peace with that, it's very liberating mm. because then you can tell the world what you want to tell them. You can really you have then then you have a voice all of a sudden and nobody can squash that voice. You that voice is yours and that voice is powerful. And I don't know what it is and I can't tell you. Obviously, each one of us has his own voice. It may be women's rights. It may be you know for me you know math and economics. I, I find those things fascinating. It's a weird niche, but I love it. Um, you know, <laughs> I, I, and so I think you just have to really be at peace with that and then and then forge ahead and then you have to write you have to have you know examples of what you do um and you have to have a lot of examples of what you do because i think that the real truth is not everything you write is going to be good mm. some things are going to be good and some things are going to be bad and you have to have a lot of them so that you have the good ones as well as the bad ones to show so that you know the good ones you sell and the bad ones you tuck in a drawer <laughs> and on that note thank you so much for your time today drew thank you for having me there you go drew chapman now i thought it was really interesting chatting to drew about the innovative ways that he's experimenting with publishing at the moment and my thoughts on that are should definitely experiment and test different ways to get your books out there. But you also need to make sure you throw your weight behind it. And that means having a strategy yourself to promote. As the publishing industry is evolving and as they try new and innovative things and new approaches to market and distribute books, I think as an author, it's vital to play a key part in the development of that strategy and to fully understand it. I think it's vital that you don't just leave it to the publisher. You need to be really behind it and really have your own plan on how you're going to promote it through your own platforms as well. Anyway, I hope you enjoyed my chat with Drew Chapman. The Murder and Mayhem podcast is brought to you by the Australian Writers' Centre, one of the world's leading centres for writing courses. With online and classroom writing courses in all genres of writing, including crime writing, students enrol from all over the world. You'll find a course to suit your needs right here at writerscentre.com.au.